0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design where each episode, I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with the unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design. Through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process, I want to discover what makes each designer, artelier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Elle Lu. An interior designer in New York City. In the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. In this episode, I'm thrilled to have Janine Russo, design director and Johnson Adler. Johnson Adler is a global luxury lifestyle brand whose mission is to bring modern American glamour by creating a foundation of timelessly chic furniture and accessorizing with abundance. In our conversation, we dive into Janine's design philosophy and process she uses when developing new product collections. She also talks us through how creating fictional stories with historical figures guide her throughout the creative process. At Jonathan Adler, she oversees product development and sourcing for the company's lifestyle collection, as well as their hospitality and interior design projects. Jenny has over 15 years of experience in the luxury home furnishings market. Her expertise include sourcing, styling, trend analysis, trend forecasting, textile, furniture, and home accessories design. Hi Jenny, welcome to the Red Angle podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You're so welcome. And I always start each episode with the same question. Could you tell us about your design philosophy and what are some of the design principles that guide you throughout the creative process?
1: Well, I guess in general, I strive to look for design solutions that are a little bit unexpected. And also, I guess... Surrealism is a huge inspiration for me and I guess for Jonathan as well. So there is always that, like, what would a surrealist, what would Dali do? Or like, what mm-hmm. is like an unexpected detail we can add in? Because I work on more of the graphic elements. Um, there is always this idea of like, well, where can we add something surprising yeah. into the mix instead of just doing something straightforward? And how can we make it feel like us? You know, how do we add our signature to it? That's this unexpected, chic, surreal detail. And how do we do it in a way that's different and unexpected? So I guess that's kind of the guiding principle. There's always like a different design error in history that we're looking at. But that's usually like the guiding principles. Like how do we make it? how do we give it a reason for being outside of just being like another dinner plate or vase? So that's kind of our guiding principle, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you mentioned a little bit like how can we make it a little bit more us? What do you mean by when you say us? You know, what does it mean?
1: It always means, I think, um, adding a detail that's surprising that will make the item, recognizable, and have oh. a certain amount of, I guess, um, a certain amount of craft and um, luxury, like a, a touch of a luxurious item an unexpected material. It's, I think a lot of it is about adding, you know, these details that are unexpected, whether it's like, for example, if we're working on a club chair, it's like, what can we do to the base? to make it feel like we found it in the Marche in Paris and it's like from the 1930s like is it about adding what can we do to this leg that adds this um, other kind of unexpected element and and gives it this um, sense that it's rooted in this period in design Uh, history that we're we're working back to mm -hmm. so we'll look at you know like a Milo Bauman chair and we'll notice like there's a certain base and how do we riff on that base so that it feels like it's an homage to that chair that we're referencing, but not exactly the same. And so it kind of grounds the design in the design period or the designer that we're referencing. I love that. Yeah. We'll look at like a lot of Royer, for example, we've looked at Royer furniture and mirrors and things and like looking at the kind of, iron work that he's done for like if there's a Royer gate it's like how do we bring that into a pillow how do we evoke that same um kind of like elegance but then have it be in a color that's a little bit more wild so it feels a little bit more like someone sees it and says like oh that's kind of like a sweet elegant um curvy pattern but it's in these like wild colors so it feels more like jonathan adler i guess that's the thing is like taking these elegant chinoisery patterns or details and then kind of doing it in a wild color to add that like element of unexpected so it's kind of this blend of like psychedelic and traditional in one piece you know it's totally
0: i love that because like then like you guys trying to really do this sort of like you know, new thing, which is like a Johnson Outlet take on, but also honoring the history at the same time. So I really like that.
1: Yeah, it really grounds it for us because we're always looking at either Tony Duquette or an interior designer that was decorating, you know, decades ago and looking at a room and saying like, well, how could we make, you know, that sofa and what detail can we add? Is there like a fringe that we can add into it mm-hmm. that would kind of like make it still feel appropriate to the error, but add, you know, just an unexpected little pop that makes you happy. Yeah.
0: So what are some of the design era or movements you guys are like looking for inspiration?
1: Well, in general, I feel like we're, it. you know, every season, I feel like we're starting a new semester in a way it's like mm-hmm. being art school because We'll take, there's a lot of storytelling in our design process. Like for example, imagine this season, we have an heiress from like a gilded era Newport mansion and she's leaving Newport for the summer and she's going to Monaco. And what is she going to find in Monaco? What is she going to be decorating her house with? Um, I think that's a lot of our process. So it's like, you know, if we're thinking about people we think. I think we go into the design process thinking about historical figures and imagining that they're traveling to a location. And it's like, okay, if you know, um, let's say Jacqueline Kennedy, for example, like let's say she's going to China, and where is she going to stay, and what is going to be in her hotel room, and what are the decor- What is the the bedside table? What is the lamp? And just kind of thinking about this story of like a
0: Interesting. historic
1: figure who's traveling and, you know, what is she seeing in her room, what is she seeing in her travels and kind of curating that travel experience for someone from the past is kind of like how we go into it. So there have been seasons where we've thought about like, what is it like for someone who's traveling to Vienna? And what are the things, like what Weimar era um, tables and lamps are we going to be looking at, you know? We look a lot, of, so we'll go down this like Dagobert Pesci kind of, we are obsessive when we get into something. So we go down every rabbit hole, you know, we'll look at everything Dagobert Pesci did in this one period and think about how can we reinterpret it? Can we riff off of this vase shape, but add a graphic that's more um, soft, for example, and, and kind of re kind of rework things from that time period. So, um, yeah, we've like, we have a lot of research that goes into our work. So we'll start with like, I think the Weimar Republic art from that era definitely comes into play. Then there's like French 1950s design, looking at Royer, um, looking at surrealism is always a huge part of our, vocab, but we even, you know, sometimes we go far back and we'll be like, oh, how do we do like a Napoleon chair? And like looking at things from the 1890s, there is no uh, historic decorative arts period that is off limits for us. And the awesome thing about like working with Jonathan, the interior designers that are on our team is that they have such a broad knowledge of the history of decorative art. So, you know, one minute we'll be talking about um, Clarice Cliff, who's this ceramicist that You know, when I look at her work, I think, oh, God, the shapes are really cool. But some of the graphics seem really folksy. And I would think like, oh, this doesn't apply to us. But then suddenly it does. I'm always kind of floored by the references that Jonathan throws out at me. So it's like one minute we'll be looking at Roberto Rita and I'll be really inspired by the shapes and the materials that, you know, Italian decorative artists are using in the 1960s and then I'll be flying over to like some other period that seems unrelated but then we kind of tie them together. So it's like this weird weaving of different his of designers throughout history and really nothing's off limits. Every I feel like every season we're going into a different period of the decorative arts of the past and kind of, you know, digging them up and 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 reworking them to make sense for us. But yeah, we're always designing into a story that has to either do with a hotel or an interior that we're working on. And so much of it is rooted in history, which is what really gets me excited. And there's just, a, it's an endless resource. You know, it's just one minute <laughs> you're looking at these vases that remain in the 1890s. And then you can just keep, you can keep going. <laughs> we have a huge library in our office and it's, it's, just a wellspring of design inspiration. And a lot of it has little post-its on the pages that Jonathan, things that Jonathan has picked. And I'll be like, oh, he liked that, that's weird. I wonder what he liked about that because that's not something I would expect him to like. And then it's kind of the reworking of the item where the process gets interesting.
0: I love that you guys actually are very thoughtful, you know, you kind of like creating your own narrative and story for each collection. That's totally like new, but at the same time honoring history. So I think that's something super unique and, you know, not just something like, oh, I, you see something on Pinterest and you have no idea where that comes from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. This is totally different. And like, I love that you guys actually, you know, go into a library, read books. And I, I just <laughs> feel like that's such a better, better way to like get inspiration.
1: I, yeah, I had a, a period in my uh, life, I feel like in like 2000. 2000- 17 or 18, where we were, we use Pinterest, obviously, but as a way to formulate our, you know, to share inspirations with each other and to bounce things off each other. It's been a great tool, but I found that it's been a bit harmful in that, you know, everyone is being fed the same images. So there's this like homogeneous sort of design thing that's happening. And I believe in that collective unconscious where artists are all kind of tapping into a lot of the same ideas and working in the same ideas when they're living in the same time period we're all consuming the same media but I think with with Pinterest it's this you know you're consuming images in this way that's different than how we've ever really consumed images right I, I feel like you know looking at books there's a little bit more um of a exploration that goes into it right you have to know oh I want to find uh you know Italian 1960s uh ex- chair design right uh, and you can do that on Pinterest but I feel like you're you're I don't know going in and finding it in a library or looking in a book the, that way of discovering something feels little bit it just feels better to me when you're on pinterest you end up just getting fed all this other information when you're looking at you know a chair (laughs) and when i'm scroll in that endless scrolling of pinterest your brain starts to go a little bit dull Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good you know but when you're exploring things in books or magazines I don't know, it just feels a little bit more intentional about what you're consuming and what you're looking for. I like that.
0: Yeah. I think you're absolutely right that reading a book is a more intentional way to find inspiration rather than, you know, scrolling through Pinterest. So I'm just very glad that at Johnson Atler, Adler, the team really takes the time during the design process rather than copying something from Pinterest.
1: We don't have a choice, really. Also, like we... I, anytime we make something, Jonathan is kind of like asking the question, why does this need to exist? What is the reason for it? And sometimes my answer is not sufficient. I'll just say, because it's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, but, and sometimes we do just make things because they're pretty. And it's like, we need to have uh, a throw blanket that, you know, we're not read inventing the world of weaving with it it's just something that is useful and we like the color so there's definitely a lot of that but there there is so much of what we do is about what is it, what is its reason for being why would anyone buy this from us why are we making this and sometimes I can't answer that question and then sometimes some things just don't get made but <laughs> it's a I find it preferable to just blindly pumping out you know a placemat with a turkey on it because it's Thanksgiving right and you know we I think that's the great thing about working with Jonathan is that we're a business but we're really an art project too and I think that's why people come to us it's because there is such a sense of his creative vision in every one of our pieces and he's a great curator you know so it's it's much better in, for me a, a, as a fit to be in a design community with the other designers at Jonathan Adler who are designing things not just because we need it for to fill a skew in a plan that's kind of secondary I guess it's like well we need to have we we don't ever really have a set skew plan. Like, oh, well, we have to have, you know, 10 new dinnerware sets because it's going into holiday. Like that's, you know, we don't, we just don't work like that at all. We don't design things based on a merchant plan, which is usually the case when you're going into a designer with any company, it's usually like, well, we got to have 17 new coaster sets for this season as you go into holiday and that We do have our requirements and our ideas about yeah Well, we'd like to have two new coaster sets because it's holiday But if it doesn't happen and we're forcing it and we feel like we're we're not going to make something just because There's a spreadsheet that someone has worked very hard on. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great though You guys don't have that pressure
1: We do have the pressure, but we also do not, we also have the pressure to make everything be good or awesome. And if we're going to just be pumping something out for the sake of like checking a box, we're not going to do that. And Jonathan is really passionate about that. The other day I was talking to him about a product category that we don't work in currently and talking about maybe getting into it. And he was like, well, we can't just, We need to have a really serious conversation about it. If we're going to do this, there needs to be a reason why we're doing it. What are we doing differently? Why would people come to us for this? How can we innovate in this category? He won't just walk into something and say like, yes, we are now going to make like toilet paper with a pattern on it. You know, it has to be, and we have done some, we have made product that we're not 100% jazzed about because it's like, Oh, we're doing this partnership. And at first we thought like, oh, this will be a great partnership. We're going to, you know, work with a company who makes like LED bulbs or something. And we're going to make them shapes. This hasn't happened. I'm just saying, for example, you know, so we've gotten into projects where we haven't been happy with the end result. So that, I mean, it does happen, but overall our goal is to be working with partners and then making product for ourselves that we feel like, oh, cool. We didn't think that doing, you know, outdoor poofs was going to be. Uh, like something we want to do but now look we have this cool thing and we're really happy with it it's like how do we make mm-hmm.
0: it feel like Jonathan Adler I see so do you always have a vision in mind about how things will be used in an interior space when you designing the product
1: no usually what I do when I'm designing for example if I'm designing a pillow collection I'll you know photoshop the pillows into the room that I see these pillows will be used in because it helps me to see what changes I need to make and to see if it's telling the story I want it to tell. Like, is this really, does this pillow fabrication and do these designs really work with the rattan split reed chair that I have happening in development on the furniture side? of the company. So it's, it's kind of like making sure that all the pieces we're designing for the collection are talking to each other in a way that Mm. makes sense. Like they're all speaking the same language. Um, so I'm always, and I like to show it to Jonathan in a room because I think it's like he is a maker and he knows how to look at things individually, but it also really comes, the story comes alive for him when he sees it in a room and it comes alive for me. It helps me see what I need to make bigger, what I need to make smaller, what's missing. So it always has to tie back to the room and the catalog shot. So every season we have a different set of looks and usually they go back to, like I was saying, we get a lot of our inspiration from travel and hotels. And so if it's like, okay, we're thinking about, imagine we're designing a Milan hotel that Winston Churchill is going to or something, you know? So it's like, oh, we want to have some like, old Englishy sort of traditional preppy Savile Row details. But we also want to have this modern slick elemental side table happening. So it's kind of like merging these worlds together and sometimes you merge the worlds together and they look crazy and you're freaked Mm -hmm. out. And so it's like, well, how do I work through this? So that these two ideas can be living together in one place.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I really respect the process you guys are taking. And I think it's very unique. And now I'm curious about your office. So does the team has a very creative environment at Johnson Adler? I don't feel
1: like our office is filled with business people, even the people who are in the business section of the business. It's a the guy who is our um, COO. He is extraordinarily talented. He makes costumes. And He, his Halloween costumes are like, they could be used in a Disney theme park or in a movie. Like they're flawless. They're amazing. So everyone's really creative and that creativity is really harnessed across the board. So we're not, you know, it always frustrates me when I see these startups that are like, Oh my God, thank you. And There, there, that infuriates me because it's like it's like we were searching the world for a couch. Where could one find a couch? And then we realized we have to make a couch ourselves. And it's like, no, you don't. There's so many places you could buy a couch. You're just someone who went to business school, and you're like, what is a business that needs to be disrupted? I mean, basically, when you see a startup, it's like you're, you know, a furniture startup, especially. It's like they're using the same factories that West Elm or Restoration Hardware. It's the same factories. It's just a different. It's just marketing. All it is is marketing. It's not better fabric.
0: It's not cheaper.
1: No, it's not cheaper. And, you know, honestly, the construction isn't better... It's just marketing and it's just about like being like, we have an app where you can buy, you can, you, know, you're, you can be drunk one night in a bar and be like, I need a sofa and then you can order it on our app and it'll arrive tomorrow. They figured out how to do the logistics of it, but the design of it isn't considered and the quality of it is not considered either. What drives me insane is that the quality is usually no better than Target and you're paying more.
0: No offense. I can go to Target, on but-
1: all day. Oh, I love Target. First of all, I have a Target in my neighborhood. I, I will totally buy my outdoor pillows at Target, 100%. But the thing that drives me crazy is I feel like it's like this, this bright, shiny lie. It's like, oh, we're doing something different. We're doing something better. But they're not. Yeah. What they're figured out is the marketing part of it. And they're usually when you look at startups, their design team is the web design and the email design. And they have maybe one person who does product development who's a freelancer or, you know, they're not, they're not about product. They're not product exactly.
0: people. And then you're trying to sell product. That's where it gets me because you can't have a company that you try to sell a product. Meanwhile, that's like the least important thing in your company. You know, it doesn't make any sense.
1: And whenever people tell me like, oh, I found this new furniture company and they're doing this and, and look how they're different. Look how they're sustainable. it, it It's like, no they're not any different than maybe what West Elm is doing Mm -hmm. they're just telling you a story differently in a different way
0: right I would have to agree and I think opposite of that to have someone like Jonathan who actually went to RISD and then become a potter and designer himself yeah that must be inspiring
1: I didn't go to grad school but I feel like I've been in grad school for the last 10 years just learning from him and um I I have worked with people who I felt like they don't have a creative vision and they're directing me to design things that look like something I could get at Ikea. And that I, 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 you know, I don't last very long in that sort of a situation because I have, I guess I've, I've been brainwashed, you know, I have like Stockholm syndrome to ask the same questions that Jonathan is asking. So it wouldn't be, it's really hard for me to, you know, just make something to make it not rooted in any design history, not rooted in any story, just kind of like, oh, I think it'd be cool if we did like peaches on a duvet cover. You know, I I just have this blank response to that because I, um, I guess I'm just uh, like spoiled by working with Jonathan by like by you know having this frame of reference i want to work with someone who i think knows more than me about design and is smarter than me mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i i you know i don't think i'm very smart it's not that it's just i want to learn from somebody else and i want to be directed to be doing things that are really interesting and different and unique and cool i don't want to be doing things that are just like based on trend it's like oh everyone's doing macrame we've got to do some macrame table runners it's like oh, all right <laughs>
0: so you know I know earlier you mentioned a little bit about you know the design process you always start from a storytelling so can you be more detailed about you know the whole design process at Johnson Adler and like how do you create that like entire collection
1: okay that's easy so we usually start with a season like this we'll say where is our like who is our fictional character who is our historical character and where is he or she going this season so let's say our historical character is um bridget bardot and she is going to buenos Aires. so we'll come together the design team and jonathan will come together and we'll you know sit in his office or we'll go to his house in shelter island and We'll all sit around and the interior design team is a part of it. And, um, the product design team is a part of it. And we'll all talk about like the different, what is Bridget Bardot going to be doing in Buenos Aires, for example. And so, um, it's like, she really needs to have like, what is the mirror she needs to have in her room. And then we'll look at different inspiration images from, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of American design magazines right now, like 80s 80 mexico yes 80 spain awesome 80 france yes el mm-hmm. decor france like all have some really interesting rooms but i find that like american design magazines are just kind of they're not they're not interesting anymore um but yeah so we'll back to the design <laughs> process part of it is like you know we're always so we'll start off there like what is bridget Bardot doing in buenos aires and what what is what is like her, what does her bed look like? What does her pillows look like and we 'll make design boards that kind of talk about the key concepts in Bridget in Buenos Aires mm-hmm. and what are the key materials we 're using? What are the key colors we 're using? What are the patterns um, and then we 'll kind of look at the collections that we have existing just to kind of ground us in our own world of like, oh well, is there a collection we 're already doing that can kind of morph into this world and um And then we start the design process you know Jonathan will you know show us inspirations that he's digging and he'll pin it on our you know Bridget and Buenos Aires board and we'll all start kind of looking at the board and um and then we also at the same time are getting presentations from the different vendors that we work with around the world different artisans who are working in different materials and you know um we'll we'll kind of layer that into the process. So it's looking at inspiration of of a lot of times it's vintage product that we love and that we think would work in Bridget Bardo's hotel room in Buenos Aires. So we'll look at that product, but then we're also looking at, um, at the same time showing Jonathan different materials that vendors are working with. So we have a lot of artisans that we've worked with for forever. And, um, we'll say like, Oh, our, Ceramics artisans in Peru have like are using this new glaze that has gold and glass and blood. How can we mix that into the mix? Um, so we'll start designing product around the materials that we're seeing from the vendor resources that we have. And also just, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's a lacquer side table that's in this sort of like amoeba shape. And so it's like there's nothing really to We'll, we'll use the resources we have for that so it's kind of this blend of like doing something new and innovating with materials that we haven't used before and then working with materials that we have used a bunch because it's like part of our DNA as a brand um, so we'll start the design process and that's when I'll start showing Jonathan like um, everything in context so we'll kind of show the mood board of bridget and Buenos Aires then I'll say like okay so now here's the tablescape that she'll have in the hotel dining area. And this is what her dinner plate would be. And this is what her placemat would be. And we'll just kind of go through every product for that look. And he'll say like, you know, oh, I love that. Not love that so much. Let's move this over here. Can you change that to be more like this? And we'll just kind of riff on the product, go through that. And then we'll get to the place where he'll say like, yes, that looks good. Send it out. I'll send the spec to the vendor. And then the vendor will come back and be like, yeah well you actually can't make that like that because it won't stand up and i'll be like what are you serious no way and so then we have to do our modifications then we get to the point of getting the sample and then you know i'll send the vendor comments on if they need to change the color if i want to change the direction of uh the material and so that can go back and forth for a few months sometimes and sometimes it never gets there for the season so that has to roll into the next season. So when Bridget is going to Moscow, there may be something she took from Buenos Aires that comes to Moscow. Um, And so we'll, we'll get to the point where we're um, where we've got an approved sample and then we go into production. And then there's the like, you know, the, we have um, agents in different countries who inspect the product before it's shipped to us. Which is another thing. A lot of startups they don't do that. They're just like, "Hey, I'm at a factory at a trade show, and I'm just going to send you this thing from India, and no one's ever going to look at it." And it's basically like, you know, there's like uh, lead in (laughs) in that that's like sewn into the bedding or whatever. You know, it's just crazy stuff. So we have the quality control process is also part of it for me. So I guess the whole process is like you know going through the the mood boards, the design. then sending the specs and also sourcing, you know, if we have like, if we're going to do chunk glass tables and we don't have a resource for that, then it's like, I'm sending emails at like two in the morning to vendors all in all different parts of the world, trying to find someone who can make this type of glass. Um, And so once we get through the sourcing and the sampling and the making then it's order time and we have to make sure that the vendor is meeting our quality cues because we don't want people to be getting stuff that's total garbage. (laughs) So it's a, it's a, it's a multi-pronged process that involves not just the fun part, which is design, but then there's like the product development part of it, which is like, oh, I got this pillow. It's awesome, but it's, you know, way too expensive and no one's going to buy an $800 pillow. So now how do we make this different? So there's a lot of the, that's like the, there's the design fun part of it, but then there's the problem solving part of it. You know, have you
0: ever designed a collection that's sort of like failed? Either it could be like, design-wise or like commercial?
1: <laughs> yes, all the time for both, all the time. Yep, big failure. I totally am a failure. <laughs> I'm probably more of a failure than I am a winner. Like if that's, but yeah, there's stuff that fails all the time and that's part of it. And there's so many reasons why something fails, right? Like it could fail because when you went through the production process, it the product ended up actually being like faulty maybe it was defective when it went into production. Like you got samples and you approved a sample. That was great. But then when it went into production, this vendor just, you know, shit the bed. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and then it gets to customers and it's like, this bowl is not, is like getting tarnished too quickly or whatever. You know, it, the customer decides that it's not good enough. That totally happens. But there's nothing I can do about that. You know, things are going to go into production and not be up to snuff. And you do everything you can to try and mitigate those risks to make the product as good as possible but there are going to be things that happen i mean with covid there were so many workers who were trained and skilled in certain in making certain products and they went home and COVID happened and then they never came back so now you have this whole new labor force that doesn't know how to make let's say like a lacquer a perfect lacquer box so then you end up with all these flaws and and it's like the customer gets it isn't happy with it and then it's a dud that's not your you know there's that's gonna happen and There's definitely been things that I've done that have been great. There's things we do that are great that we really love all the time. And then we look at the selling on it and we're like, well, the customer has spoken. She does not like this. Mm -hmm. And we're like, why? It's so great.
0: Do you have an example? I'm really curious. Um,
1: Well, I think that, I guess for me, like one of my favorite things, we had this reform table lamp. It was a, I think it was like a ceramic. That might not be the right name, but we had this, table lamp that it's ceramic bronze and kind of like it looks like um it's like a brutalist ceramic table lamp i loved it but we ended up you know we don't offer it anymore because it wasn't a it didn't blow out it wasn't a big hit and uh you know I, I don't know why it wasn't a big hit. I guess people just don't really like brutalism as like a design aesthetic in their home. For me, like I live in a colonial house. Mm -hmm. When I moved into a colonial house, I was like, oh God, I'm in a colonial. What do I do? I hate colonials. Cause I had this really cool house that was like mid-century modern, but it was a a death trap. It was like filled with mold and spiders and it was old. And my husband was like, we can't live here anymore. (laughs) And so we had to move into like a normal house that wasn't a death trap. And so we moved into a colonial, and I was like, how do I make a colonial cool? I know. I'm going to combine colonial stuff and brutalism, and then I'm going to have colonial brutalism, and it'll make it interesting. So I really loved this lamp, and for whatever reason, I can't have a pair of these lamps because I only bought one, and now we don't make it anymore. So now I just have one random lamp that I really wish I had a pair of. That's a shame. I know. It's always a shame when you only have one lamp, and you can't get it matching. match it. You know, it's the worst. So... <laughs> I, I mean, there's no greater crime in the world than having a single lamp or a single pillow. Cause once you realize you need a pair and you can't get it, it's, it will keep you up at night it does for me. So I think that, yeah, the, there's, there's so many products like that where we are like, wow, this is so cool. But we just feel like the world isn't ready for its greatness yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's lots of things that we'll find that like, we're like, oh, well that did not sell two years ago, but that would sell now, you know? A lot of times I think that sometimes I'm not saying we're ahead of the curve or anything. I'm just saying that sometimes um, design trends, you know, kind of morph in a way where we're like, oh, if only we still had that, that would be great for this look. I think that happens to every company, but I don't know. I think a lot of times it's marketing that ends up being the reason why things fail. And a lot of times I think things that we do are a little bit too weird for Mm -hmm. most people.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. You know, I personally love the weirdness, but I think it's definitely not for everyone. So, you know, we talked a lot about your design philosophy and process. I want to bring a conversation to your career a little. So, how did you end up at Johnson Adler and then become the director?
1: Um, so I went to art school for my undergraduate. It was, my undergraduate was kind of a hybrid of art school and liberal arts. And I basically did like a tour of every art school one can do. I went to Pratt. I went to Parsons. I went to the school, of the art Institute of Chicago. And then I went to NYU because I had this moment of like, I wanted to live in New York and I was from New York. So I was, I was in Chicago and I was like, Oh, I'm not dealing with Chicago. This is not for me. Mm -hmm. It's too cold. Um, so I, I, when I went back to New York, I didn't want to go to art school. I wanted to go to NYU because I wanted to have, um, a more rounded out liberal arts philosophy education because when I was in art school, I felt like you know, anytime I had to talk about my art, everyone else in my class was talking about Foucault and I was like, who the fuck is Foucault? And so I felt like, oh, I gotta go to NYU to learn about who Foucault is and like learn about Derrida and whatever because I just felt like I didn't have the academic background to talk about art when I was in art school. So I went to NYU to get an academic background So then I graduated from NYU with a degree in nothing. Like I knew how to match paint colors and take photos and silkscreen and talk about Foucault. But what job is that going to be good for? Nothing. So I applied for a job in a wallpaper fabric design studio that was in Yonkers, New York. And um, I got the job because the person that they wanted for the job didn't want to take it because they were too freaked out after 9-11 so oh I got this God. job by total like luck I mean they thought I, I think they thought I was like a total freak but anyways I ended up working for this fabulous designer her name is Carolyn Ray and she has been making hand-painted fabric and wallpaper for interior designers since the 1970s she is like Annette Benning and overall she's super awesome she um, taught me so much about design and like our inspiration for wallpaper and fabric were artists like Solowit and Eva Hess. And it's kind of like if Eva Hess or Solowit were doing a wallpaper, what would it look like? Which is like most times when you're looking at wallpaper, you're looking at, you know, chinoiserie and twalls and and there is some some cool wallpaper out there, but I think she is a really different sort of conceptual textile designer and wallpaper designer. And all of her fabric and wallpaper was hand painted um, by me for many years in a fabric studio in Yonkers. So I was just wearing overalls and, um, rubber Crocs and mixing paint by hand and then painting linen. And I did that for four or five years. And in addition to working with Carolyn on designing wallpaper. So it was, I really developed my eye for color and that's how I got into like the world of high end interior design. I really didn't know much about interior design before i started working for her and i would go on sales calls and i would meet with i remember meeting with nick olson when he was still working for miles red and showing him wallpaper um and just going to different i would travel around to different interior designers around the country and show them wallpaper and fabric and just learning about their projects and what their needs were so that's how i kind of started in the world of high-end interior design and after being covered in paint And my nails were always gross and I was always sweaty and gross and doing a lot of manual labor, just physically painting fabric for so long. I was in great shape, but I was definitely not liking the way my hands were looking. (laughs) So I wanted, but also when you do everything by hand, it's really time consuming. So I wanted to learn how to do things faster. And I saw that we were working, you know, we would do a painting that we wanted to turn into wallpaper. And then we would send it to this artist who would break it all down into screens. And I saw how she was working on Photoshop. And I was like, wow, this is really fast, which I like because I'm really impatient. And so I was like, this is fast and it's efficient. It's cool. I want to learn how to do this. So that's when I went back to FIT and learned how to do Photoshop and Illustrator and eventually Ned Graphics for textile design. And it wasn't and when I was in art school, like as an undergraduate, I never wanted to use computers. I just want to do everything by hand. But then I think after you're doing everything by hand for like a decade, you get, and then you see that there's this other way to do it. You kind of are like, it's seductive. So then I went to FIT, learned how to do Photoshop, Illustrator, whatever programs I needed. And then I um, got a job working for Isaac Mizrahi for Target. And then I was lucky enough to go to New York now with one of my friends that I was working with, um, at the time. And we met this designer who was working with Jonathan, we were in the Jonathan Adler booth. And I was like, this stuff is so amazing. Every time I went in the store or the booth, I was always like, this is so cool. And, um, one of the designers at Jonathan Adler was like, we're looking for someone to do textile design. And my eyes lit up and I was like, sign me up. (laughs) And so it was very much like luck just being at New York now at that moment when I met this designer who was a friend of a friend and he was like, Oh, we're looking for a textile designer. And I was like, Oh God, I was wondering like, does she want that job? And she was just kind of like, um, no, no dude. Like, you go for it. And I was like, all right. Yes. So I emailed Jonathan and sent him my portfolio and we like my friend, Denise and I, She also works with me at Jonathan Adler. She's our VP of furniture of, she's our VP of design actually, but she is like our furniture guru. So Denise always laughs when we talk about my project that I submitted. She's like, I don't even know how you got hired. Cause it was so bad. But I eventually like, when we look at it, it was like, you know, I had to do like an, a design with animals in it. It's very bad. But um I, by the luck of like, I don't know, the luck of the draw, I ended up getting in there and I met with Jonathan and, um, I've just been there ever since. And I guess that's kind of how that all came together for me. And then when I started working with him, you know, it's definitely like a learning curve, you know, what Mm you think, what you think of as like, being Jonathan Adler, the second you get to like know him better, you're like, oh, that, that really isn't his thing at all. There's all this nuance to his design aesthetic and what he responds to and what he doesn't respond to. And I think, I thought I knew when I started like, oh, he'll like that. It needs to be mid-century. And it's like, it's mid-century, but it's very specific mid-century. Like you can't just throw like any atomic pattern in front of him and he'll respond to it.
0: Yeah, I think it also just takes years to, you know, develop that level of understanding. And, you know, being a design director, what's your day like? Uh, It's always different. I
1: like to try and start my day by answering email that is essential for getting product into our stores on time. And then I will go down the rabbit hole of looking at samples and making comments about them and making changes. And on a good day, I'll be able to not do any of that and just kind of answer emails really quickly and then get into just working on design work. Um, but it gets harder and harder to do that uh, as the more and more product we make because the more product we make, the more samples we have, the more that needs to get looked at, the more people that need answers. So um The the best case scenario is I start my day with answering a few emails and then I can really get into getting deep into wherever Bridget or Winston Churchill is going on vacation Mm -hmm. and just kind of like (laughs) getting into what is that pillow story going to be. And then also talking with the other designers on, on our team and talking about what they're working on and giving them feedback. And, you know, when we get stuck, we kind of talk to each other, we talk each other through like, what else can we do? if you're, if this design isn't working, what else can we do for it? And uh, for me, it's really just like working out the design, the overall design look of what are like pillows and throws and anything with a pattern on it. And what is our color palette and kind of working through that and then showing it to Jonathan and seeing if I can get it into a place where he'll be happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, like, you know, being the design director, like what do you Now looking back, like what are some of the, you know, either advice or suggestions like you wish, you know, when you're like still at design or art school or just graduated? God, I don't, it's so hard
1: to say, I guess. It's so hard because it's so much about personality, right? Like if you're the kind of person that you don't, take direction well and you don't and you want and you're like really stubborn and want to do your things your own way I would say like go and get some business like degree go and get a business degree so you can like make your art and know how to do like the marketing like if that but if you are the kind of person that I think people don't really embrace this because i feel like our culture is so much about like be your own entrepreneur start your own business live your best life now like be your best you and i just think that not everyone should be having their own company like so it's like if you are the kind of person like i have a, one of my best friends is like you know she she works for a company but she's just such a bossy pants that she really is like someone who just needs to either have like a lot of autonomy in her job or work for herself so i would say it's like kind of like not being the advice I would have given myself is like not to beat yourself up, to be different. It's like, if you like working in a community with people and if you like getting, if you like kind of having a, a mentor and being led, which like I clearly do. Cause I like, I like working with Jonathan and the designers I work with cause they kind of, they're teaching me. I like being a student, I think is the key thing. And it's like, you know, I've I spent so much time trying to fight my nature and to be, I can be a teacher I'm sure I do teach people things, but I don't like being, I'm fine with being a teacher, but I really like being a student. Being a student is more exciting for me. I like having other people show me things and I like to, you know, then like run with it and develop things in a different area with the support and guidance of other people. So I would say, you know, if you, to just kind of know, like, what is it you what is it that's your comfort zone? Is it your comfort zone to be a student and to be like working with other people and to kind of run in line? Or do you wanna just like be on your own and kind of do your own thing and pave your own path? There's no wrong way. I just think it's, it's good to accept what your, what temperature you like to swim in and not try and force yourself to swim in cold water if you're like a hot water person.
0: That makes any sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you know, in the end, I always ask like my guests five sort of like short questions, um, just to because I always curious what other designers like. So the first one is what's your favorite book?
1: Um I don't really have a favorite book. I more have like a favorite period of like a style I like to read. Um I like a lot of postmodern fiction like It's a low calvino and like Milan Kundra, And I also just like to read historical um, period pieces <laughs> like um, Edith Wharton, kind of like to take me into another, another time period. I always like to read things that take place in like the 1800s. So I can easily go for like The Alienist by Caleb Carr or like The House of Mirth.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And do you have a favorite, you know, or furniture, home decor, a lifestyle brand besides Jonathan Outler?
1: Um, I like, I, I like Kelly Wurstler's brand, I think, is always got really unexpected, smart, amazing stuff. I feel like her brand is like consistently cool. Whereas when you look at like other larger companies, it's hit or miss. You know, but with her, it's always like, oh yeah, she's always doing an awesome job. And I think Celery Kemble, like whenever she does a product line, I always think it's really well done and usable, but, um, classic.
0: And what, who are your favorite artists or designers?
1: I like a lot of surrealist artists. My, one of my favorites is this artist, Henry Darger, who is an outsider artist from Chicago that, um. He did this book called The Vivian Girls and the Realms of the Unreal. And the American Folk Museum in New York City, I think has the whole book in the collection. And it's just, I mean, if you just Google Henry Darger and like look at his work, it's awesome. It's really super weird. He's definitely like my favorite. He's my inspiration for everything in life. I'm like, oh, I just I could just be like Henry Darger. That's a I like it like I like it really weird. Dolly, like Surrealist De Chir De Chirco is um one of my favorites and then also like I like Sheila Hicks I like Eva Hess like Solowit like but in general I like I like like Indian miniature paintings and Henry Darger. I like anything that has this
0: surreal bizarre narrative quality I love that the next question is what is the most fun place you've been before
1: my favorite place on the planet is Portugal across the board everyone, I think, I think Lisbon went through like this phase where, um, in 2018 where everyone was like, travel to Lisbon. And I completely understand why it's just, you have great food, great wine. The first time I went to Lisbon, I was there alone. We were making ceramics in Portugal for the first time. And I went to Lisbon cause I was flying out of Lisbon to go to India. And I had a night in Lisbon and I just walked around the city. And there's this section called the Alfama, which is the medieval section. And it's just these tight winding roads and these old medieval buildings. And it was just so cool because in most European cities, when you're walking around at night, I mean, I've been to, you know, like when you go to Rome or Paris, it's like, there's always other people around and it's these tourists and there's tourists everywhere. And you don't really have this experience with the city because you're dealing with all these other people. You're like consumed by the tourism part of the city. But with Lisbon, when I was there, It was like I was uh, walking these streets alone. There were times where I was like zigzagging through the Alfama Alfama district, and I was totally alone. And I thought, "Oh my god, this is so scary! Like someone could totally jump out of a corner and and like kidnap me at any moment." This is it was so. It was so scary, but so invigorating and so fun to be discovering something, to be discovering like this ancient city completely alone, to have this experience by myself and just to be in that silence and just to really connect with it was just awesome. And the cool thing was like the second I got really freaked out and was like, oh my God, I'm totally alone. Someone could kill me. I would turn the corner and then there would be this square and there'd be all these people just sitting out having dinner. So it was just like this ping ponging back and forth between like fear and excitement all at once. And I just... I love discovering Lisbon. I love walking around the streets and having that moment where you're just like by yourself and you're like, feel like you're, you've been transported back in time. And then all of a sudden here you are in the present day with other people.
0: Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Best
1: place ever. So
0: last question, how do you decompress?
1: I have two cats and I just pet them. I just have always had cats. And I just find that if you just sit with a cat on your lap and you can pet your cat, they'll calm you down. Better than wine that's a lot of calories i mean i definitely like wine as well but whenever it's kind of like a petting a cat is kind of like a meditative thing and they force you to slow down especially this cat because she'll just like look at me and be like you need to focus on me right Mm -hmm. now and pet me and you need to just stop what you're doing and it just slows everything down
0: yeah well i wish i have a cat like yours to force me to slow down sometimes and well this has been great talking to you genie And thank you so much for being so open and honest about your thoughts and the design process and Jonathan Adler. I really enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Yeah, sure. No, thanks so much. I love talking about it. So thanks for letting me.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Red Angle Podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can stay connected with us through Instagram at The Red Angle Podcast or reach out to me personally at Elo Design. I linked everything about my guests in the show notes, so please go check it out. Thanks again for listening and see you guys next Wednesday.